Is that really in the Bible? Well, we were all born into a ready-made world of religion. I, uh, I don't think any of us ever questioned it. We, we assume the traditions around us come uh, straight from the Bible. Most people are educated by the Bible, by what they've been told by others. My minister said so. It's the greatest authority they have. Uh, they wholeheartedly put their trust in another's opinion about the Bible. Well, in seminary school, a man or woman is taught a theology about the Bible. It's a uh, set of beliefs that the student assumes is right. We never ask the question, what if there is some error in the things I've been taught about God? And the real problem is, these errors are passed on to the congregation as absolute truth. Hello, I'm David Freeman Webb. Is that really in the Bible? You know, most people's religion, it, they, they, they believe something like this. It's, they're very naive when it comes to what they've been taught about the Bible. Most religious people believe that Christ brought us a new religion called Christianity. And Christianity is maybe a 45-minute worship service on Sunday instead of keeping God's fourth commandment, his Sabbath. Uh, Christi Christianity, this new religion that Jesus bought is Christmas and Easter instead of God's commanded holy days. This new religion that, that Jesus brought us is heavenly retirement instead of the kingdom of God, Christ returning to this earth and setting up his kingdom on this earth. Instead of that, we have heavenly retirement. This new religion that Jesus brought us called Christianity is the rapture instead of the resurrection, what your Bible teaches. This new religion is the Trinity, instead of the family of God, what your Bible teaches. This new religion is being tortured for all eternity in the lake of fire, instead of what your Bible teaches, and your Bible teaches the wages of sin is death. This new religion that Jesus brought says grace plus nothing, instead of what your Bible says in Hebrews 5 and verse 9, that Jesus became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Yeah, put that in your pipe and smoke it. All them that obey him. This new religion that, that Jesus brought called Christianity is you have an immortal soul instead of what your Bible says that God only has immortality right now. This new religion is in people's mind is that Jesus brought us a new religion called Christianity. And I guess I would, I would believe it if this new religion jived with the Bible. In other words, if the Bible said, uh, keep the first work day of the week holy, Sunday, well, then I would, I would go for it if, if your Bible said that. If your Bible said Christmas and Easter will be the two major holidays you should keep, well, if I could find that in my Bible, I, I would believe that. If Jesus said, all men go to heaven, Instead of, you know, do you know what Jesus said on that subject of heaven? He says this, look, John 3 and verse 13, he says, no man has ascended to heaven. That's what Jesus said. If I could find the rapture in the Bible, if I could find the Trinity in the Bible, the word, if I could find in the Bible the wages of sin is staying alive in hell for all eternity, well, then maybe I would believe this new religion that, you know, that we have today. 
if, if Jesus became the altar of eternal salvation unto all them that just, just raise their hand, just invite Jesus into their heart, well, then maybe I would believe that. The problem is this new religion that everybody thinks Jesus brought is not in the Bible. You know, we have what I call an opposite religion. It's like everything that Jesus said, people believe the opposite. Jesus said, think not. Don't even think it, that I've come to destroy the law. Guess what nearly every Christian thinks? He came to destroy the law, to fulfill it, to nail it to his cross. Jesus said, no man has ascended to heaven. Guess where everybody thinks you go? Heaven. Jesus said he's Lord of the Sabbath day. Guess what every day, what every Christian thinks he's Lord of? Sunday, the first work day of the week. Uh, the, Bible, uh, God, the Bible says God only has immortality. Guess what nearly every religious person thinks that you have? An immortal soul. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And yet nearly every religious person thinks, no, the wages of sin is living forever in a place called hell. You know, the Bible says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Religious people, no, that's not important. That's not important. Now, I want to tell you how we have lost our way when it comes to our religion. This may be the most important message I've ever given. Because I'm going to tell you how we have lost our way. And you're not going to like the answer. You're going to rebel. You're going to buck up. You're going to say, oh, no, that's not it. I know. I know I love Jesus so much. You're going to come up with all your excuses. But I'm going to tell you how that we have lost our way. I want you to imagine sailing across the ocean. I've always wanted to do that. Get out in, in a boat, a, maybe a big sailboat or something out in the middle of the ocean where all you see is water all around you. Now, the first thing you would need is a compass. Because on the ocean, everything looks the same. All churches sort of look the same, do they not? They resemble each other. You know when you see a church, don't you? Yeah, they sort of all look the same. And you need a compass to discern which one's right and which one's wrong. But I want you to imagine this sailor out on the ocean, and the first thing he does before he sails off is he takes the compass and shoom, throws it in the water, down to the bottom of the ocean. That's exactly what we have done in our religion. And in our relationship with God, we've thrown away the compass. Now, what is the compass? I'm going to tell you what the compass is. Hold on to your seats. Ezekiel 20 and verse 19 says this. It says, I, and, excuse me, I am the Lord your God. Walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them. Next verse. And hallow my Sabbaths. They shall be a sign between me and you that you may know that I am the Lord your God. Now, it says we are to keep God's Sabbaths. That's plural with an S on the end. What that's referring to is not just the weekly Sabbath that occurs every seventh day, but it's also a reference to the annual Sabbaths, seven of them that occur throughout the year, throughout one year, seven Sabbaths. You see, the Sabbaths identify the God that you serve. And once you abandon God's Sabbaths, you're lost without a compass. And your religion will not make a lot of sense, and it will often be a religion of contradiction. In other words, once you abandon God's Sabbaths, 
you're on a slippery slope sliding down. It is not much to grab a hold of as you slide down into the abyss. When you reject God's Sabbath, you are rejecting God. Take a look at it again. Ezekiel 20 and verse 20. And hallow my Sabbath, they shall be a sign between me and you that you may know that I am the Lord your God. Who are you refusing to know by not keeping his Sabbaths? You're refusing to know God. Look at the verse again that you may know that I am the Lord, your God. Now, why would I put so much emphasis on God's Sabbaths? I'll tell you why. Because they are foundational. What do I mean by found? I mean they're right there at the get-go in Genesis 1 and verse uh, 1 and 2, one, uh, chapter 1 and chapter 2. They're, they're foundational. They're right there. Anytime you see something at the very beginning, of creation. You need to stop for a moment and ask the question, why is this, why does this seem to be a foundational thing? It must be important. You know, think about building a house. Would you build a house without a foundation? No. Why would you start framing up walls on the dirt floor without a foundation? And that's exactly what's been going on in mainstream Christianity. We've been building a house without a foundation. Well, in fact, we have a house. Oh, it's beautiful. It's nice. It's got a nice steeple on it. It's, it's a beautiful church. But we've, you've got a house without a foundation. And it's going to fall. It's going. One of the first things mentioned in the Bible. Let's take a look at it. Genesis 2 and verse 1. Genesis 2 and verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them... And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had made. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. And because that in it, he rested from all his works which, which God created and made. Now, why is the Sabbath day a part of creation? You ever thought about that? That you have listed everything that God created. And then part of God's creation is the Sabbath day. Does that bring you to any type of an awareness of how important it is? I mean, if it's not important, the Sabbath, as so many ignorant preachers will tell you, then why is it part of the, part of the creation account? You can't live without creation, can you? You can't live without daylight. You can't live without water. You can't live without the trees. You can't live without the seed-bearing fruit trees and, and all the, the uh, vegetables. You can't live without the animal kingdom. You can't live without the moon, the gravitational pull of the moon on the oceans that stirs all that water up. If, if there wasn't a moon that cr creates that gravitational pull on the earth, on the bodies of water, all sea life would die and you would die. We all would die out. If there wasn't, if God left out one thing about his creation. So the Sabbath is a part of this creation account. You can't know the real God without keeping his Sabbaths. I know you think you can. I didn't say you couldn't go to church and learn about Jesus and learn about God. All that's important. But if you really want to know the real God, you got to go back to the foundation. You can't build your house without a foundation. You know, God's Sabbath is really, when I think about it, it's introductory level for knowing God. 
If this is where you start if you want to know God. You start with the foundation. You ask, all right, what did God set up as the foundation? Christians are guilty of building their house without a foundation. Now let's notice the next reference to God's Sabbaths. And God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. That little word seasons there, the word is moed and it means a fixed time or season, a festival, an assembly, a meeting place, a feast, appointed seasons, a solemn set time. This is a direct reference to God's holy days or Sabbath day, the annual Sabbath days. That word moed is the same word found in Leviticus 23 verse 2 where it says, speak to the children of Israel and say to them concerning the feast, there's the word, of the Lord. It's the same word that we read back earlier, seasons. Moed, it means a, a, a holy convocation, a holy set time, speaking of the holy days. All right, look, look at this. Concerning the feasts of the Lord. Whose feasts are they? They're God's feasts. Which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations. Even these are my feasts. There's the word again. Now what does this tell us? It tells us that the holy days, God's Sabbath, annual Sabbath, not just the weekly Sabbath, but the annual Sabbath, are foundational. They're right, they go right back to creation. Let's look at it again. Genesis 1 and verse 14. And God said, let there be lights in the firmament of heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs, for seasons, holy convocations, there's the word again, and for days and for years. There are at certain seasons of the year, holy days, that God, there are spring holy days, there are fall holy days, called God's feast days, that revolve around the seasons of God, the spring and the fall seasons, that God expects us, that are foundational, that God expects us to keep, that teaches about who and what God is doing, who is God, and what is he doing. God had revealed, I am convinced that God had revealed to Adam and Eve his holy days, his Sabbaths. The weekly, yes, the weekly Sabbath, every seventh day, and the annual Sabbaths. The, 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 there are seven annual Sabbaths. Now let me explain this. And I'm just going to give you, I'm just going to run through this very quickly, the meaning behind each one of these holy days. And, and, and basically I'm going to learn, I'm going to tell you more about, I'm going to give you some knowledge here that probably you hadn't learned from 40 years of being in church. Okay, let's take the first one, Passover. Now the Passover is not actually in a holy day. It introduces the holy days. The Passover. Now, most Christians are familiar with the Passover. When I see the blood, I will pass, I will pass over you. It's about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I think most Christians understand the meaning of the Passover. Well, the Passover introduces the holy days. All right, the first holy day on the hills of, of uh, right after the Passover is the Days of Unleavened Bread. You got a first day holy, last day holy. The Feast of Unleavened Bread is about putting Christ in and putting sin out. Christ is represented by the unleavened bread and sin is represented by leaven. 
A little leaven leavens the whole lump. And so we put Christ in. And we put leaven, sin, out of our lives. Now think about this. First you have the Passover. Christ willing to die for our sins. Well, what's the next step? Well, I just told you. <laughs> it's, 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 it's putting Christ in and putting sin out. What do you think God expects us to do about our sins? Live in our sins? You know, just let Jesus take care of it. You know, just let, you know, grace plus nothing, grace plus no effort on my part. No, God is doing a work in a real Christian's life called overcoming sin. Now, the third holy day is Pentecost. And Pentecost is about the Spirit of Christ, receiving the Spirit of Christ. Now, think about this. We've had the Passover, blood of Jesus Christ, forgiveness. We have unleavened bread, putting Christ in, putting sin out. But where is the power going to come from to do this? Answer, Pentecost, Spirit of God. You will never overcome that addiction, that sin, without the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God. Okay, that's the spring holy days. Now let's jump to the fall holy days. We have the Feast of Trumpets, which Christ returns and to set up his kingdom on this earth. We also have a great you know, resurrection at that time. So, uh, you know, the trump, the trump shall sound and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Feast of Trumpets, the meaning is very simplistic, very simplistic. Um, then after that, you have the Day of Atonement. Atonement is about the atoning work of Jesus Christ. It's also about a time when that evil diabolical spirit will be no longer able to influence mankind because he will be bound for a thousand years and ultimately destroyed. But, you know, no longer will, this, will you have a partner in sin with the real atoning work that's going to come on that day, the Day of Atonement. We all have a partner in sin called Satan. You know, the devil made me do it. And I'm not saying you should use that excuse, but it is true that we have a partner. Well, that partner one day is going to be dealt with, put out of his misery. Okay. That's part of the meaning of atonement. Then you have Feast of Tabernacles, when the whole world will rejoice before God. We have the thousand-year reign of Christ on this earth. And man is going to be given everything that he truly wants. And he's going to be taught how to have, how to truly be happy. The Feast of Tabernacles. And then the last holy day is the last great day, which really looks forward to, you know, after it, it's, it's God's final completion work. And that involves a, a later resurrection where God is going to see to it that everybody who ever lived gets at least one chance for salvation. There will be many people that come up in that last resurrection where they will be given their first chance for salvation because they never had a chance during their lifespan. And that includes a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of people, by the way. So that's just sort of a, a synopsis of the Holy Day. Now, I want to offer you some literature here, and I forgot to bring the one thing up here, but uh, an offer on God's, this is an introduction to the Holy Days. You need this publication. It's free of charge. Also, I have three other pieces of literature on God's Sabbath day. One is what would Jesus do on the Sabbath day? Three pieces of literature. I forgot to bring that up here, but you'll, you'll get a package on God's Sabbaths. Weekly uh, holy days, seven of them during the year, and the weekly Sabbath, 
you need this information to get educated about God's truth, about what's really in your Bible. Now, the question is this. I'm sort of giving you the opportunity to pick up your compass and start using it. And the compass is God's Sabbath. It really is. Let's look at it again. Ezekiel 20 and verse 20. And hallow my Sabbath, and they shall be a sign between me and you that you may know that I am the Lord your God. Do you really want to know God? I think you do. And I'm telling you a way to know God that maybe you've been denying for a long time. Maybe you've been rejecting this. Maybe you don't want to go there. Maybe you think it's too much for you to handle. I don't know what your excuse is. But you know, God is bigger than our carnal mind. He's bigger than our rebellion. And you ought to at least get this information and study it for yourself. Now, I want to show you something about God's Sabbath that is sort of shocking here. Uh, I'll read a couple of scriptures here. Genesis 2 and verse 2. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he had rested from all his work which God had made. Okay, next verse. Exodus 20 and verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it you shall not do any work, uh, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your manservant, nor your maidservant, nor your cattle, nor the stranger that is within your gate. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that was in them and rested on the seventh day. Wherefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Now, did you notice something there in those two verses? Clear commands about keeping the Sabbath. But what I want you to notice is this. There's not a word in there about worship. Now, am I saying worship is wrong? Am I saying you shouldn't worship on the Sabbath? No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, what I'm saying is this. We have substituted a personal relationship with God for a 45-minute worship service. And we think that, that, oh, I went to church today. I know people, their whole religion is based on going to church. It's like they'll kick the bucket if they don't get to go to church. Because that's what their whole relationship is about, going to church. And I'm saying the Sabbath goes a lot more deeper than just a 45-minute worship service. The Sabbath is about connectivity. It's about connecting to a holy God. And the way you do that, the first instruction on how to do that is you've got to stop. Okay? You've got to put aside for, for 24 hours your own self-interests, your own little world that you're living in, and you've got to stop. God spells love, T-I-M-E. And let me tell you something. Your children spell love, T-I-M-E. I mean, if we would just keep the Sabbath for the sake of our children and preserving the family system, we would see a great benefit in our society. But yeah, the, the, the Sabbath is for family systems, but it's for God also, because God also spells love, T-I-M-E. And he wants you to spend time with him, enjoying his creation, maybe having a picnic, being together with your family. Is this too hard for you? You're telling me you can't stop. You can't stop. Well, you got, a, you got more than just a, a rebellion problem. you got an addiction there if you can't stop. If you can't stop work. 
Something's wrong. You've got some serious issues in your life going on. Now, it requires some discipline. I admit it requires some discipline. Name me one thing that a Christian does today that requires discipline. Have you thought about that lately? I can't really tell you one thing that Christians do today that requires any discipline. Yeah, the Sabbath requires some discipline. You've got to stop. 50, I heard a statistic one time that 50% of men are addicted to pornography. Christian men, that is. I should have said 50% of Christian men are addicted to pornography, some form of pornography. Well, there's no discipline there, is it? Keeping God's Sabbath requires some discipline. And maybe that's why so few are interested. Maybe that's why. You know, like I said, once you abandon God's Sabbath, you're lost without a compass. And you're on a slippery slope sliding down. Once you negate God's weekly Sabbath and holy days, you're sliding downhill with not much to grab a hold of on your way down into the abyss. Now, I want to ask you a question. Will you keep God's Sabbaths? Again, I forgot to bring this up earlier, but I want to just go over this one more time. Seven holy days that explains God's annual Sabbaths. Also, four pieces of literature I want to send you that will explain more in detail about the weekly Sabbath. Here's one. Why the Protestant Reformation failed. You need that. Why it failed. Uh, Roman Catholic and Protestant confession about Sunday. What they admit about Sunday keeping. Uh, 100 facts on the Sabbath questions. You got questions about the Sabbath? Here's your answer. And what would Jesus do on the weekend? This is some great information. I'll send that to you free of charge. Absolutely free of charge. <clears throat> won't bother you. Won't sell your name to a mailing list or anything like that. You get what you ask for. This literature, this free literature. So I'm asking, will you keep God's Sabbath? Well, let's turn in closing to Isaiah 66 and verse 22. It says this, For as, a, as the new heavens and a new earth will I make, shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain. Now, understand the time frame of this. We're talking about a new heaven and a new earth. Now tell me, when is this? Well, it's in the future, when God creates a new heaven and a new earth. Now let's notice next verse, 23. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another shall all flesh come to worship before me, says the Lord. When Jesus Christ returns, he is going to reestablish the foundation that we have cast aside, that Christians have cast aside and said it's not important, God's Sabbath is not important, God's holy days are not important, they're Jewish, they're Mosaic, they're for Israel only. All the endless excuses that people have for not keeping God's Sabbath. Well, your Bible says that God is that from one new moon and from one Sabbath shall all flesh come to worship me, says the Lord. And when God says, you know, thus says the Lord, you can put that in your pipe and smoke it. This is something God is going to do. You will be keeping God's Sabbaths in the future.
I can guarantee you that. Anyway, I'm David Freeman, and that's what's really in your Bible. If you would like a free DVD recording of this program that you can share with friends and loved ones, write to Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. That's Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. And be sure to mention the title of this program.